And now, for some intro music. Ooh. Let's podcast. Hello, welcome to the 8th Bits and Pieces podcast. And I am, as ever, joined by George. Hello. And Mr. Gavin. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. And I am, as always, Nevi, and apparently forget to do that at the beginning of podcasts. You sure <laughs> you're always and, Nevi? I should, I should edit it in over the top whenever I forget. I'd just be shouting it. You're called well, Nevi. You've got to tell people that bit. Excitingly, we've now got a live soundboard. So what I could do is just have you record saying, I'm Nevi. And then <laughs> I could just have that on, uh, on request. Yeah, but I I don't know. <laughs> is that is that a power I want to give you? Just you'd be able to just press a button and have it say I'm never after anything that I feel like that could go wrong quickly. <laughs> I could, it's easy to abuse. <laughs> yeah, that, I think that could be proof that he will use his powers for evil. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it could well be. But yeah, no, we are. We're yeah, recording yeah. in a different way, and George has. Um, oh, I have sole access to the soundboard. He does. He does. We don't even get to see it. So. This should be interesting. Um, anyway, um, how are we doing, boys? Yeah, how's how's everyone been? I'm good. Well, actually, I was pretty good. Though I got home about an hour ago, and just as I was about to come in the door, like a cat walked in front of me and winked at me, which I felt it was like a, it felt really ominous. <laughs> what like sort I was of about wink to get home, or, like walk in, and everyone would just be dead. <laughs> okay, so and just to confirm, that didn't happen. It didn't happen, no. I, I think everyone was out, or I think one of my flatmates was in, but alive. <laughs> just sounded a little bit disappointed there. Like, you kind of hoped for, like, some sort of excitement. <laughs> the way you said alive at the end. Well, you know, it's like, there's always something slightly, like, <coughs> malevolent about cats. Like, they're kind of plotting something. So, you know, when they wink at you, it's it's particularly menacing so you thought the cat might have been a, a murderer of some kind well not necessarily that cat like it might have been an accomplice to other cats ah. that were more murderous part of it a was kind of like cat conspiracy winking at me because it because it knew cat conspiracy to murder exactly mm-hmm. like cats and dogs that film right you know, where the cats are like trying to blow up the world or something what they're trying to do um i think just kill all the dogs oh. um oh, and like I think because less... there, there, I'm pretty sure there was a sequel which was, um, and was. I think cats just tried to do the same thing again. I didn't, I didn't see. <laughs> That's the very. Sequel. I mean, yeah, sanity for you. They're that. pretty determined. I mean, what, what always that. creeped me about about those films was like you, you had these like uh, really powerful like secret society like dogs, yeah, and but they were also just you know content to be to be house animals, and that <laughs> that, that freaks me out. Like imagine if, right, so you know all the times like your your pet is I don't know seeing you do weird stuff or, or seeing you naked or, you know anything really like seeing <laughs> you do apps. a shit like <laughs> computers exactly yeah like no they have like a a human level intelligence in their brain just like yeah. like thinking about it you know you you are yeah. observed it's not some well anyway. it's like there's the I think there's that quote in the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy where it's like humans had long assumed that they were the most intelligent people on Earth due to things like fire, um, like tools and war. Um, whereas dolphins that had just splashed about in the water for for ages uh, assumed the same. 
All right, well, <laughs> there you go. There you go. Um, so, yeah. I speaking mean, of I, oceans. Hmm? Yeah. No, I was, never mind. I, was, I, won't, I, won't, I won't keep going on about the cats and dogs thing, but I just feel like they should pay rent. I just I feel like that's... I think if they're smart, they have jobs. They should pay rent. That's all I'm saying. We can continue with the podcast. <laughs> I mean, like, taxes. <laughs> but, I mean, cats kind of do try and pay rent because they just bring you sort of dead rodents. I feel like that's more they're treating you like dustbin men, though, than actual presents. They're like, I'm done with this. Deal with it. Rather than this is for you. I hope you like it. Sort of thing. So. Yeah, I feel like we've gotten a little bit off track with our endless talk. I don't about think pets. we ever we ever had a track. And so to establish, I mean, you, you know what we need to get back on track. Maybe a map. Yep, because this week, oh, oh. our theme is maps in video games. Going cartographical. Just, yeah, mm-hmm. not just sad maps though, but happy maps too. <laughs> well, I just want to add a bit of emotion to our our theme, yes. as we are now trying to do a theme for each podcast. So yeah, maps in video games. What are they? What do they know? Can we find out? I feel like the answer to that is they are maps. Yes, we know. And yes, we can find out. Yep. Hooray! <laughs> well, I figured I'd open us up with, I'd, you know, I'd pose a question. Because I feel, you know, like, there's a, there's a general idea that games are becoming kind of easier, like, you go back, you play old games. Sometimes they're just really hard, and often you get lost. Like I have a lot of I have a lot of memories of just not knowing where to go in a game. Yeah. But I feel like that hasn't happened for a while. And I was thinking, like, how often recently have you used a map in a video game to navigate? Um, I think my most recent example of that would be in Firewatch, because in Firewatch there was an option for you to turn off. Like the the active tracking of the map. So instead of it being like a map that was also GPS because it tracked where you were, you just used a compass and then the map was a normal map that had like landmarks and shit on it. So that was probably the last time I used a map in a game as a map. It was awesome. That was that's one of I, my favorite bits about that game actually. I really like games where you need to access a map and like someone in the game like takes one out and unrolls it. And that's that that always. Yeah, Far, Far Cry Two had that. I yeah. think it's similar to Firewatch, where like your yeah. your 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 character your character model is physically holding a map that you need to pan your camera down to have a look at. Like when you were driving around, you'd have a little map or GPS, yeah, just out. So if you wanted to look at it, you had to take your eyes off the road. That was, I mean, combined with the the slightly dangerous car physics in that game, that did lead to me crashing a couple times. And yeah, or you'd, kind of... you'd, you'd look down and then look up and realize you'd accidentally run over a lion. Yeah. Or like a South African gun runner. It's like, oh no. You feel sad about the, well, mostly about the lion. But yeah. Anyway, <laughs> it's something that I like in speaking of, <coughs> despite this game's uh, staggering lack of maps, um, Uncharted kind of do that as well, where you like, like if you want access to the wee pocketbook, you know, like flips oh, it yeah. out and looks at it. You know, That's cool. It's a nice noise, isn't it, when you turn pages? Yeah. For a game called Uncharted, you don't do much, you know, charting, really. No. I mean, it is. It's just Uncharted, so. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> there, there are no maps because it's all it's not... linear. Yeah. <laughs> What's Nathan Strake's, like, profession? Is he an archaeologist or is he... He's not, like, a cartographer? Or oh, no, he's, uh, well... Like a vagabond. Well, he's, he's like a, a treasure <laughs> thief or... 
like Prof- professional Afghan scarf like, wearer. And and like the uh, third game, he's like a like a diver, yeah. picks stuff up from the bottom of the ocean. Yeah, I th- until I think he's he... called back in for one last job, etc. Yeah, I think yeah, that's what he does. Is he just he likes he's like a human magpie pretty much. He just likes shiny objects, so he goes wherever. <laughs> one might even object. call him a Tomb Raider. He yes. Yes, one could, but one shouldn't because of you know trademark. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. That's important. Well, I mean, honestly, like, I feel like modern games have had a real like magpie quality to them in the way that they handle maps. Because I feel like so often, I think Ubisoft games, especially, are like the prime example. But maps are just a to-do list now, rather than a like rather than being a tool for navigation. They're just sort of have you done this yet have you done this yet so you open it up and it's like oh good i've got to find 17 green herbs i need to clear out the outpost i need to go and save my brother-in-law from angry bowling enthusiasts <laughs> i love how green herbs say brother they're like the same level of importance <laughs> well yeah that's the thing you open I like save you from angry bowling enthusiasts or I, you know i've got six green herbs still to find so you know well you know I, I need to go and kill 16 antelope so i can make my wallet a little bit bigger yeah i guess that's like, kind of a, a weird side effect isn't it where like because your map is just a big a big like i guess it's got to do with the way the brain kind of thinks about the, the tasks we complete in the games you know um because locations are just, you know, we things with markers on them. Like, eventually, that's just the way we, like, read the entire environment of the game. Like, oh, there could be a shiny thing in here. Or because, like, we know if there's a shiny thing in here or not. It makes it really weird when, like, like in Assassin's Creed especially, like, some of the environment design in that game is really, really good. But because of the way the game encourages you to play it, like, you know, you'll look up at, I don't know, like... A massive cathedral and you'll think to yourself oh well it's not got anything in it like not interested sorry gotta go hunt in a bush <laughs> yeah yeah to pick up yeah, a fucking flag i think like well because i remember like the first assassin's creed i remember you'd see it and it looked so amazing because it had such like a minimal ui and often it would be turned off like, yeah there was no hud and so it looked it was really odd to see this game that had was that kind of was so clean and minimalist but i think as the series has progressed it's because it it pushes so much of like in, so, so much info into the map and i guess that like i think that was probably like a yeah, yeah it's a, kind of a like, game that sort of started it uh, yeah i think that it, you can draw it back to being from that but, but i don't know i think even like you could take it this further back to maybe be more like in grand theft auto games and stuff because they have a similar thing where like the map is sort of littered with bits and things to do probably less to the extent of assassin's creed because assassin's creed sort of like it po- puts in everything that you could possibly find from like treasure chests to feathers and shit on the map to make it incredibly cluttered at times. Yeah, well, it's always that little weird thing, like, you're, you're sort of having a nice time and then you open the map and suddenly you're just overwhelmed with <coughs> a million tedious tasks that you really should do. Yeah. So yeah. I guess it's a game's like, look, there are things to do in our game. There are so many things. Look at all the things that you can do. Yeah. I, I so busy putting in things. Yeah, I think it's still to ask whether they should put in things. <laughs> I mean, people will be standing at the window, I think. No, yeah. you you yeah. asked the question, when did, was a, a recent time? Hmm? Oh, no, no, I was just, I was going to say something. I was saying it was the difference between um, 
maps trying to emulate sort of a regular map or trying to emulate something more like Google Maps, where there's always oh, like yeah, yeah. something on the map that you kind of zoom in and you see more things and then it shows you pop-ups of what things are rather than it being an actual map that maybe has a key for a very limited number of things that appear in the world and then shows more routes and places, ways to go and stuff. Yeah, because I guess I've, I've navigated. I don't often navigate with a map in a video game, like just by sort of you know, looking for looking out for sort of points of interest and then comparing those to the map. It's usually just GPS telling me where to go. Yeah, but I mean, I think I've, all, yeah, I've, like I've navigated with a map, even less in real life, just because, yeah. you know, who who uses a map anymore? It's just if your phone just tells you where to go, and I guess True. kind of almost at the same at the same rate at which we got. You know, just every everything is GPS now. Yeah, I mean, it's still life, ha- you know, games were doing the same. Yeah. We still have a road atlas for the car for when the GPS goes funny. So I use that occasionally. It's still quite nice to use a map as like using a map. And I suppose actually when I go when we go like walking up like hills and shit in the dales and stuff, can't, the GPS just doesn't work generally on my phone. I'm not buying a specialist device, so just use an actual map. It's just a it's easier. You have to how will you know that there's six green herbs nearby that you need to pick? I mean, I have a different app for that. It sort of like triangulates where herbs are. Yeah, because so. I mean, you'll you'll need you'll need four of those if you want to craft the poison arrows. <laughs> yeah, one exactly. one thing I've noticed a lot in line with that is, um, <clears throat> like, part of it is like you say the decline of the map is like a like a physical object and then there's also kind of you, you know back before you would open up the map in a game and it would be like i don't know something someone's drawn to represent it like i feel like these days like I, one thing i remember very clearly from games ages and ages ago old rpgs and everything is you'd open up the map and because it was like a drawn representation of the game world rather than i don't know a a picture or like a cross section of it like yeah, sometimes yeah. it'd be wrong like sometimes yeah. like you'd feel like you know that this you know this turn in the road doesn't actually match up to the game and so on i think far cry 2 did that sometimes as well like but nowadays it's just i, I guess it's kind of with in, increasing uh like you say increasing idea that that's what we have in the real world as well as you know games got excuses to do it and then just you know it's weird. Although, well, so I guess games have been, become really, really good at just kind of night like usability in terms of signposting where you need to go. So the kind of need for like maps to show that is sort of it's less important. So I guess even like old first person shooters, you'd have that like you know you'd have those maps of the rooms because there'd be a lot of like oh there's a locked door you need to go and explore the area to find the key to open you know find the yellow key to open the yellow door. Mm. And I remember, I remember, like, you just, I have some memories of like just staring at sort of those like floor plans, and being like, "Is that a door? There? Is that connected? Oh no, that's actually that's an impassable bit of rubble. Yeah, that looks like I should be able to get through there on the map. Or like looking at those floor plans, there was a lot of like figuring out where to go. But yeah, like what like playing Wolfenstein two recently. I think there is a map. Like I've definitely picked up maps of areas. Yeah, but I haven't ne- haven't opened the map to look at to to look at it once. I don't think. Yeah, I mean, 
I've been playing um, a bit of Destiny 2, and they have a very rudimentary map of the sort of open world areas. Um, and it's I, I quite like it as it, it just sort of shows where, um, where you can start different missions and where some of the um, public events are. But it shows very little else. It's I think it, it works very well in like the tone of and key of the game of like they've sort of lost knowledge and they've lost everything. That even the maps are just a little bit shit. That you can't zoom in on them. Your icon is quite big, so you're not you can't see any detail of what's around you. It kind of just shows like you're in a room, <laughs> like it's you can go left or right. <laughs> it doesn't show you any depth or anything, which is quite it's quite refreshing almost to like the map just shows you where you are in relation to other things doesn't just show you where everything is like you can still wander around and find treasure chests and like other pickup bits or like spawn points and stuff that sort of encourages you to still explore in that way rather than being like here's where everything is you can just press a button and then it's tracking and it shows like a, a marker to tell you where to go for it which is kind of yeah cool. that's quite nice i mean i feel like yeah. i think we're like with the I guess that Assassin's Creed model of finding like watchtowers to kind of open up areas of the map. Maps almost become like when you open up the map to look at it, it doesn't really show you where you can go as as so much as the places you've been because it'll have like because when you have maps that you need to actively reveal by you know scanning an area, climbing a tower, mm. using binoculars, <coughs> you end up with all those grayed out areas of the map. So it's just kind of oh I know I've been to these bits, but uh, so I've got this map which is like. Look, here is here is the boundaries of 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 the existing place, but this map is blank. You need to go and fill it in yourself. Yeah, I think that's quite nice in a way, but also kind of is weird in that like it's because well, it's of how it's kind of backwards it in the sense that yeah, it's, like, it's, it's, it's sort of backwards in the sense that you don't really find the map to help you explore and figure out where to go. It's more. Yeah, well, I, mean, I mean, kind of, I, I, it's like kind of the reverse. It's just kind of showing where you've been almost. Yeah, it makes. I guess that depends. Sorry, no, go on, go on. Uh, I was just gonna say, I'm gonna. I guess that depends on um the, like how you view the way that impacts the design. Because like you can look at it one way, which is you'll go and unveil the map once unveil unveil the map once you've already, um you know explored how how to look around and so on, but I think. It, that might be the way they've maybe hoped it would work. Like you know, you'd have a you'd have a look around, and then you go and do the tower or whatever, and then you could get the collectibles or something. But mm. I, I think in reality, the way players tend to approach it is, oh look, a new area. There's the tower, and then ignore everything in the area until you get to the tower, and then yeah. climb the yeah, tower, that's, that's true. reveal the map, and then mm. carry on your merry way. Yeah, yeah like I with mean, Far Cry, I'd just be like, right, I'm gonna spend. I'm not gonna do anything other than just go between all the towers to reveal the map yeah i think i did a similar thing in um uh the first um middle earth game the warner brothers yeah game. what's it called um, and, um what's it called shadow, 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 shadow of mordor yeah in far cry you do quite a bit of unveiling too because you have to kill all those deer to make your wallet <laughs> oh very true very true nice <laughs> incredible <laughs> Oh dear! I it's just like we've got a real a real drum kit. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it kind of makes sense narratively in to a certain extent in um, Assassin's Creed because it it makes you think like that they because it's their sort of assassin they're like surveying the area and you see 
they, they kind of like start to uncover what's there. But then to another extent, it makes absolutely no sense in there. Like they climb to the top of a tower and all of a sudden they can see like 700 collectibles that are around in the next sort of like 15 square meters or whatever. Um, but then of course but, they have the excuse of it's like, oh, it's a simulation. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, but don't you do a similar thing or almost a similar thing in Breath of the Wild? You'll know better than me, Gav, but like climbing a hill. Yeah, is kind yeah of I, I heard the map like, system and that was really praised because it was it was it felt more organic. Yeah, Breath yeah, of the Wild, it, it has a similar idea. You, basically, you climb to the top of a tower and basically it kind of does what that does, but it just reveals the geography of the area, basically, um, rather than... And, and it'll reveal some like locations, like major you locations. Map, as well in it, so yeah. like, it's like, almost like setting your own but, uh, places to explore mm -hmm. from going to the top of a tall... Yeah, it, it doesn't do the, the thing where it just tells you... like it, it shows you the map, the area of the map, but it doesn't actually tell you where the stuff is in it, basically. Yeah, and so I, I just—it's just nothing to do with that game's really good, like visual design and the way the the whole thing's laid out. That mm. they're able to, like, basically, you climb the top of the tower and you'll see, oh, there's a there's a shrine over there and it's really bright. Another shrine over there. There seems to be, you know, there'll be a a horse thing over there, and you'll like see something at the top of a mountain. It's like, it's really interesting. They've done it really, really well in that game. Mm. Yeah, there's something there's something really great about when you you've got a map and you want to go and explore an area because of the like geography and map data that you have rather than that like oh well i know there's four feathers over there i should go and collect yeah. those like when you're like yeah. hmm that's an interesting shape on the map or i can see there's kind of like a ruin over there that looks pretty cool i'll go and explore yeah. that i i think the way we the way we read the way games work these days it's kind of bizarre right so if i was playing an assassin's creed or something like i was saying i'd see a big cathedral or if i was playing far cry i'd see like an interesting looking mountain and like I'd look at the map and I'd see, oh, there's nothing there. It's not useful to me right now. And then I'd also have the thought in the back of my mind, but it's like it's an interesting piece of geography or architecture. So I know a story mission's going to take me there. Mm -hmm. Like it kind of encourages you to just like not engage with the thing because you know that the game's going to use it for something anyway. That's. But I mean, yeah. I mean, it's kind of the way Nintendo design their games in general. Like it's something that Odyssey's been praised for as well. Is like if you right. So if I see the top of a cool looking mountain in Zelda and I climb to the top of that mountain, like <laughs> if I was playing Far Cry and I saw that there was nothing up there, I wouldn't do it at all because I know that game is very honest with you about whether or not there's stuff at the top of a mountain, mm. and it's just a waste of your time. But if I go to the top of the mountain in Zelda, I'll probably find some kind of shrine puzzle, or I'll find a, one of the Korok seeds, or maybe even something more important. Like it, it's just really, really good for that kind of thing. That's really that's really cool because it's kind of, it's 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 kind of designing to exploration, kind of essentially how it should be like from the player's perspective because with a lot of the UB games it's just plonking stuff on the map and that's like where you should go, rather than you go to where the player is and you kind of look at what they can see and go oh does that look interesting to climb, perhaps because that looks interesting that's where we should put the stuff, yeah. rather than yeah. there's stuff here and. You're kind of it's it's almost the reverse. It's the stuff there, so that's what makes it interesting, rather than that looks interesting. Yeah, we it's really put the weird because you kind of have to unlearn the way open world games work these days. But it, it's just so intuitive that it doesn't take long. I think because mm. you know I have to kind of fight against that instinct to just ignore it and play the story stuff. But then once I think to myself like, oh, just look at the look at the way they've designed the the way the game you know the world looks. 
it's really weird because obviously one of the conceits in that game, since it was designed for the Wii U, is that uh, Link carries around a little tablet with him, <laughs> and so they would they would have an excuse to have everything <laughs> marked on the map with you know ancient Sheikah magic, but. There's yeah. a difference between uh, the game sort of wanting you to explore and the game wanting you to sort of just collect, I think. Yeah. Because it makes like... it a lot more difficult for someone who's playing Legend of Zelda to literally collect everything from everywhere because they'd have to literally walk over every square inch, whereas people who want to just collect a load of stuff in Assassin's Creed just have a checklist that they can work down, just like just sort of yeah. meander but... through, well, through the map. Yeah, I guess but like when you when you've got to show that your game has, content. I guess a lot of the AAA games want that like they want very empirical evidence that their game has X amount of content. Yeah, so oh, yeah totally. When you've got a checklist, it's it's very clear, as opposed to a kind of more holistic approach where it's kind of let's just kind of put in interesting things out there to entice the player to go and have a look. And so, I mean, yeah, I you know, I, there's always the risk that the player just doesn't necessarily engage with that and so goes oh well i did the main quest you know yeah what i mean I yeah. Like nothing, there's nothing here starting to step away from that i feel like there have been games the past few years that have sort of shrugged off that that sort of thing like the witch 3 for example like you you you'll find a lot of quests just by just wandering around the environment that are never pinged up on your map you'll get things like the like um like monsters uh spawn points or whatever or like a, like a few interesting things to do, but it's never it's never overwhelming, and it's never um, it's just sort of like little side bits that you can go and do if you feel like it. Whereas you'll just sort of stumble across like a griffin that you might want to take on, or like a little quest to do uh, to do something that you might not have gotten if you if it's just by taking the left path rather than the right one, you've bumped into a character who you, you can have a little little side story with, which I think is 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 a good sign that maybe we're sort of moving away from that sort of Ubisoft uh, way of having like a million things cluttering up the map that's you don't really need to do because they don't add anything. They're just sort of there because, I mean, I feel really sorry for the pe- for the people who it was their job to add them to the map and and create those bits because they're a bit shit. But um, yeah, the, yeah, they're just padding, aren't they? Yeah, like... I feel really bad that it's like that was literally someone's job and that was their contribution to like a big triple a game was that they they put the feathers around the world but um at the same time it's like i don't really want to perpetuate that as being a good thing yeah i guess like if, you know like the the elder scrolls games always had that you know were always the the, the classic example of like just just wander around and you'll see stuff that's cool and you'll go and explore yeah but, I, mean, I mean like wander around in skyrim i mean then the map in skyrim was pretty terrible because it gave you a view of the world but during a really cloudy day, so that yeah. you had mods and stuff, you couldn't looked, really see very much. It looked really nice. Yeah, it was like, wow, that looks so nice, but it's completely useless other than like I can just you know I can see the the sort of major cities <laughs> and all the stuff I've discovered, but I can't see the roads. I, you know, it's all a bit too misty and cloudy. See, I didn't mind that because I, I feel it, like that. It's, I mean, if if they're not going to do a real map, they could at least do a thematic one that's that makes like it like at least evokes the sort of tone of the world of being that sort of like misty unknown region. Which I think yeah, I, well, I mean, I, I used the because I had I remember getting it and it I 
some of the pre-order copies came with like a, that like cloth map. Oh, they did. It was very nice. Yes. Yeah, it was just really. Well, I think yeah, it was a sort of like it was a really nice like textured kind of. Yeah, it was like papyrus. Well, it was like sort of artificial parchment. Yeah. And it was really nice, and like I ended up using that to navigate quite a lot, especially That's for. Really... Like when you were just out starting out the game and you didn't know where any of the cities were, and it had the roads on as well, like the main roads. Yeah. It was it was it was actually really useful. That was cool to have a have a physical map. Mm. Um, yeah, that's but, a good point. I mean, now that um, PS4 have kind of improved their second screen app for the for smartphones, I'd quite like to see more sort of you be able to play a game and then you'd be able to have a, a map of some sort in front of you, so that you can kind of try and navigate the world. Because the number of times when I've been playing, uh, I was playing. What was I playing recently? Um, uh, a Metal Gear Solid Five, where I'm trying to get out of a firefight while also find out where I'm supposed to be going, and I'm trying to open a map up to see maybe the direction of the landing point. But then at the same time, I'm trying to not die at the same time. It's like this is too many things to, to, that I'm trying to do simultaneously. If I could, if I just had a second, like the smartphone second screen. It just showed me <laughs> a static map almost. It didn't even show where I am. I just need to see. I need to go north or south, and by the time it's opened up and stuff, sometimes it's just dead. But I mean, yeah, if I was in a, I feel like that could if be I get enough in a firefight in Metal Solid, I end up just throwing the, um, like the helicopter <coughs> support smoke that just summons in your helicopter, for ah. the uh, the reassuring sound of mid-year to come blaring over the horizon. <laughs> such a, such a weird game that one. I mean. It's so bizarre to me that like they've basically designed this big open world, but like you say, like if you're ever really in trouble, just chuck down the smoke. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. and basically a big murder copter will come, kill everybody, and pick you up. Yeah, that's the, that's the one thing I hate about the game is that it just like it's so. It just constantly tells you off for having a lot of fun. Yeah, like it, it's, it's like, like here's. Oh, Here's three million ways to enjoy yourself, and also kind of three million ways that trivialize the game, but also will punish you for using them. Because mm. I really like <laughs> you know, using, the, uh, using the binoculars, like mark objects and stuff, and I find that to be a really, really good thing. Like you sort of like go up to somewhere you've got a good vantage point, and you can mark where you want to go and things. But then if you ever actually need to use the menu for the map itself, it's just it it's so unhelpful sometimes. Yeah, I don't know. It, it it's a good game. It's a good. Game. It's mental, but yeah. I mean, it is. I imagine roughly the experience of what trying to uh, like use Google Maps on your smartphone while in the middle of a gunfight would be like. Yeah, but, it um, is a Because I mean, I, I, I imagine. I feel, like, I feel like I've got like, quite good at it. I don't. I. I'm I find I find the map pretty easy because usually it's just. I don't really use the map for anything other than just yeah, just using the mini map really. But yeah, I, I mean, if, if you ever have the curse of trying to actually open your iDroid while someone's shooting at you. Like, if they hit you. I mean, quite naturally, I suppose, if you did get shot, you'd probably you'd probably put the gadget away. It's just so but... annoying. Because <laughs> it takes a few seconds to load up sometimes. So you just like... Yeah. It's a, it's a bit like using happens. your smartphone in the rain where it keeps just getting like random buttons keep getting pressed on the wet screen. Yeah. But, I've just started putting a just putting a marker on the nearest um, pickup point now before I start going into a base. Well, you know, you know the pickup point is is automatically marked. Oh, is no, it but you have to you, call, you call it in. Yeah, 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 so I'll just run there instead. Sometimes because because before, before I'm if if I'm being shot at, I don't want to try and go to different menus. So I'll just run in a direction, find out it's the wrong way, and then have to sort of circle back. It's just irritating. Um, 
but yeah, no, just that I'd mark a good instead, and then I can just stand there. Much better. Like I've been thinking about this, and I think a, a game that has probably the best map, or at least one of my favourite maps, recently, is probably Battlegrounds because I think the map in that is is brilliant. It's really because it's such an integral part of the game. And I, cool. I, I, I love it. Cause it, it yeah, it, it's it's really good. I, I was going to say that I, we would eventually... It's been, like I think, a couple episodes since we talked about Battlegrounds. <laughs> yeah, we, ha- so. we, we haven't talked about it I for a while. <laughs> Keep meeting to well, get so it. Also, in, like, in the, like, you have, you, you know, you press tab and it, it brings up a map, which looks like a pretty standard kind of, you know, almost Ordnance Survey-esque map. Mm. Um, and you can't, like... Unlike loads of games where you can you know, put down a GPS and there's tons of ways to interact with it in in backgrounds, all you can do is just put a marker on the map and, and that's your one way of interacting with it. Yeah, and you don't have a mini-map, but the marker does appear on your compass. Yeah, so you have a compass and you have a map and the map is... divide. you know, has, has, the, has the grid points so you can... it lets you judge distance. And it's 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 really interesting because you you as part of the game it's so natural to use the map like you're in the plane, and I've spent so long just staring at this map, and it's exciting because there are so many bits of the map that I still haven't really properly explored, and only know, like I know that there's world there because I've looked at it as map, but or I only know it exists as a couple of little yellow square buildings, and the yeah. rough geography of it, and I'm sort of like, oh, I wonder what that place is like. Yeah, one of the things I really appreciate about Battlegrounds, and especially in that kind of pre-game bit where you're looking at all this stuff, is that like the way you remember locations on the map in that game will always be through like until you've actually visited them. Obviously, until it'll just be like what what happened there the last time, and so you'll think, oh, I don't really want to go there because the last time I got murdered and like I had a weird experience here. This one was a bit tense. It, it's got a really interesting way when you're like looking at the map. It feels almost like a real place. It's it's. I agree. The map is really cool, and good map usage can be the the key for, let's just say, for someone who isn't like, I don't know, a, a complete, like I don't know, a pro Twitch shooter player. Yeah, like, like if you can learn to, it's such an invaluable like communication tool when you're playing with a partner. That's really interesting. Because if you can like figure it out, you like first of all, what you'll be in the plane and you'll put a marker down and you'll say like, okay, we'll jump out here, and often you'll be looking at the map to see where you are in relation and then you'll sort of jump at the shortest point and then you'll you'll use it to communicate to show where loot is like you're looking at the map and because and as you you sort of learn the game you know that buildings equal loot and you know if if it's a sort of military sounding place then it's probably better loot and so mm. there's so much like passive learning that you then just apply to reading the map that it you know it doesn't tell you this stuff other than just being a simple map yeah it's you know you you navigate you navigate with it like you would a regular map because you go oh there's a road uh and so if your partner's driving you'll be like follow this road take a left or you might place markers to kind of create an artificial gps where you just constantly like place markers every time they get to one you place a new one yeah or you're being shot at and you're like oh i think they're here and you sort of roughly work out where they are on the map and it's like one of the most annoying. Well, I don't know if it's annoying. It, it's either annoying or fun. Things about playing with a new player is um, trying to like communicate map stuff to them. Like uh, you know, you're getting shot at, and you're like, and 
let's just say that they've not played the game. It's their first round. Like, let's take the uh, the platonic ideal of the new Battlegrounds player, just fresh off the plane, <laughs> like ju- just launched their parachute to the ground and is looking around really, in a panic. Really hung over and ready for the wildest stag weekend. <laughs> <laughs> and they... Uh, and like you get shot at, and you just turn to them and you say three uh, thirty, and they just like 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 you get the Discord equivalent of a blank stare, just like what? <laughs> just like I think they're here. Look, they're about half a square this way. <laughs> and they're just like, what the fuck are you talking about, you lunatic? Yeah, because like because you have because you have a you know you have a compass, and so you you, you use compass directions like like they're east. Um, but also, it's really important to use the map. Where you like you estimate roughly where you're taking shots from, and you put a pin where you're taking shots from because sometimes if you're really spread out from your partner, the like parallax yeah. of where you're being shot from. So like for for me, there I'm being shot at from two fifty, but from that for them it's like you know sort of one ninety, and so nice. it's not always like a perfect thing. So it's really important to be like I think it's, they're roughly here, or you're like oh where's that good bit of loot you left for me. And they've up, yeah. they up, they up, they uh, in a recent update they add let you like quickly mark where you're standing, which is really useful. Yeah, I think one of like, the one of the things. Hmm? I'd say it's just yeah, it's just nice because it's so simple. Yeah, it's such an integral part of the game. Yeah, I think one of the one of the things that really gives me that right. So one of the things that always seemed cool to me in games like you know uh, Arma Three and obviously all the other ones kind of. Mill Sims. Oh, we've got sad music. Continue your anecdote. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> I feel I feel like there's a bit of emotional weight behind this, in which I'm just gonna say, one of the things that's interesting to me in those games was like, um, you know, like communicating between people, and you know, obviously using the map, telling people where they were, and it gives you kind of a, a diluted way to do that without the um, kind of, I guess, the learning curve of games like those. Yeah, that's cool. I hope well, everyone had a little like... cry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> sometimes. Yeah, like because it, it is a re- it is a really simple way of communicating that is yeah. is really understandable. But there is also it's it's also a, a learnable skill that you can get better at using the map. Yeah, it's like halfway new. between halfway between feeling like a cool military guy and going for a hike. Like, yeah. <laughs> It's like, <laughs> which is like most of battlegrounds is just going for a hike. Yeah, that's cool though. It's like orienteering, but the the checkpoints are people you kill. <laughs> yeah, yeah, kind of. Because like you you look at the map and you because you you as you build up just like this knowledge of the game, you you look at the map and you instantly know oh the school that's a dangerous area. There's nothing that says yeah. it's a dangerous area. You just, from your knowledge of the game, you know it will mm. be, and you should sort of stay clear of it. That's interesting. And it's cool, yeah. Cause like, as you, the more the more you play, you just build up these stories and thing that just kind of. When you look at the map, you kind of just see them. Mm. I really like the idea that it has a compass rather. There's just I think more games that have maps should have a compass. I, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's not like a it's not like, like a sort of 3D compass or anything. It's just it come along the top of your screen, wherever you're looking, it shows your yeah, just, just like the compass bearing you're looking along. Just because I find a mini mini maps quite annoying. Like I always find that if you have a mini map on screen, I spend more time looking at the mini map than the rest of the game. So 
Like yeah. in The Witcher Three, I just turned off the minimap and just consult the map every now and again to check I was going in the right direction. Because otherwise, I just end up looking at the minimap to make sure I'm going the right way, rather than enjoying this amazing world that I'm riding around in. And the same is true for a lot of other games that use a minimap. And yeah, I I don't know what you guys think about minimaps. Yeah, I think it's it's kind of the same idea that you've mentioned before. I think it's like the idea that if you don't have the minimap there, you might miss out on content. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, like, yeah. You'll be searching through a room and you won't find everything or you'll miss a room in a building. Mm. And it's... Whereas, whereas if I don't have the minimap there, I don't care because I haven't got the knowledge that I might be missing something. I've just got, I'm wandering around enjoying it. Whereas if there's a minimap there, I'm like, oh, well, I should probably check over there or go over here. Whereas the absence of it makes it a more freeing experience. Yeah, it's like, right, so... Um, like you mentioned before the podcast that you'd been playing Yakuza, right? So yes. one of the things I find really interesting about that game is it doesn't really signpost any of its side stories or anything. No. But um, if you want to take a completionist, right? So I think I know a lot of people will like like to do this with regards to that series. But if you want to take a really completionist approach to the Yakuza series, you kind of miss out on actually enjoying the game for a yeah. bit. Like, I, I always like to, to play through it, you know, take a good, because it's really fun to get used to that city. Just mm. take a wonder about, yeah. find side stories, like, kind of organically and naturally. Mm. And then if I want to go back and find the ones I missed, I can do that after I've, you know, completed the game. Yeah. yeah. Like, I think, I think it's always better if your game is designed to, you know, give the players kind of an organic experience so that... Because, you know, one thing about having a checklist-style game is that at the end of the day, everyone ticks the same boxes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I quite like that you use the side quest because like, between story missions, I always think it, that um, like, everyone's going to have like a different interaction with a random, sometimes crazy person. Yeah. Like, between between like, going to a... Between when in Yakuza 1 where you go, you come back from prison and you go to a funeral afterwards. Like... You, you could have like gone and helped, like gone given a drunk more alcohol, or you could have chased down a, a shoplifter. It, like every, depending on which alley you walk down, at certain points you'll talk to a different person, which is it's really interesting. It's sort of like everyone has like a slightly different curio in that way. It's quite nice. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Mm. I, I do think like especially like I, I think it's something in RPGs as well. I think. I think, you know, in games like, uh, um, what was it? I was, I was reading recently about Path of Exile, which is like a like a, a loot fest ARPG, but it has a really interesting way of like making you basically adapt your playstyle to the stuff you find. And I, I think that's a really interesting thing to apply to the RPG genre because, you know, like, I feel like one problem with The Witcher 3, a game I, re I really, really like, is that at the end, everyone tends to end up playing Geralt more or less the same but like I don't yeah. think he has a huge amount of gameplay variance but at the same time like I, I always think in RPGs it's interesting like part of the like whether or not designing a character feels like uh, putting a new coat of paint on a game or doing something different kind of depends on the way the game's designed because you know, if you wander about and find different stuff and do different things just because of that's the way the game's designed, 
and I'm kind of just wittering on, but <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I think it's it's an interesting thing. I think, I say, I think your point about like your like what you find as determining playstyle is always kind of an interesting way to try and play RPGs because so often, I mean, whenever I usually like, you know I'm play like if I play Fallout or I mean like I know what I want my end character to look like like I know I'll go into it and be like right I want to be really good at using sniper rifles and silenced pistols and so yeah. you kind of already you like you just kind of cut out loads of things you're not going to use and so even if I find the world's best chainsaw I'm like oh well not not going to use that because it's not, that it's not depends, really where I want though. to go yeah, but that depends. That depends on what, like, you're kind of embodying a character in Fallout. Like, you're like, this is my person. This is how they would react in this situation. You're like, well, my character just wouldn't use a chainsaw, which I suppose is kind of different from, like, Path of Exile, where it's not such a personal experience. You kind of just, I'm guessing, I don't really know much about it, but, like, you just sort of pick up a weapon and then you go and use that for a bit. A bit like in Destiny 2, where, like, I'll just... I like get a new shiny gun and I'll just use that from now on for the time being because it's better or a bit different and that changes how I play the game the difference between using like assault rifles and the handguns whereas in something that's more of a a character's journey like it is in Fallout and maybe like Skyrim and stuff you would because you invest as well in specific skill points like you can't suddenly backtrack and then want to be really good at using shotguns for example I suppose Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I mean, like, yeah. it's interesting that you, because you so often start the game and you know where you want your journey to end rather than kind of begin the game as a, you know, so you, you know, you create what your character's going to be like in your head. Yeah. But I think it's just interesting that, like, I, thinking about the way I play it, I always go, oh, this is, this is how I want my character to end up rather than this is my character now and I'm just going to kind of try and play with whatever I end up with and kind of naturally develop my character in that way so if, if i find yeah. a gun and then i'll just put you know a weapon to pick it up and i'll put stats into that rather than i don't know maybe it's just maybe it's just the way i'm playing it but playing rpgs i just think i end up i'm very about i'm very sort of keen to get to the end like i set myself an end goal rather than setting myself up to just kind of go to just kind of you know yeah use I whatever i find that, i don't think they're set up to be like that as much though like for example in skyrim if you've never used like a staff before it's going to be like skill level one and you're just not gonna be very good with it so there's not really a benefit to you suddenly deciding to start using a staff or like yeah i think that makes sense like the, well, the way I, the game I, I mean less so once be, you've like you've kind of gone down that path but more I think it's more general, like, no wrong, but like usually you start the game and you kind of have an idea of the weapons that you want this character to use, rather than, like, and so right at the start you're already like making those decisions that, because you you know you find so many like random bits at the start of an RPG. It's like oh I've got well I could use this level yeah. one bow that I've just found, but actually now I'm gonna hold out until I find a, a sword or. A staff or something else. Yeah, I, I suppose again, where you want to go. Like 
because because well, the there's, there's normally a more interesting story in like I found this and became really good with it because yeah that's what I suppose I found, but I, than... I think in those games though you are like you are role playing as a person and like it I suppose in ev- everyday life you might adapt more like that but I suppose you're you're embodying someone in like a fantasy or a steam like uh, a post apocalyptic world like if you think of of like fantasy characters and in Skyrim for example like that you very rarely meet anyone who is like like good at using everything they're you very much specialized in an area and are good in a doing a thing yeah i i do think that it depends obviously on, it's I part think... of the idea of a role-playing game isn't it that you go into it with a, a definition of what your character is yeah but i i think that it, it can be interesting like the way I, I think part of it has to do with i mean I, I don't know how much it's like, got to do with the maps. I think it's just that we tend to go in with a definition of what we want to be rather than finding that definition as we start out. But then I, I think that has to do with, well, obviously the roots of the genre. Like, right, so you're playing a pen and paper RPG, you literally write your character before you start. That's true. And then go in with that. Well, and then even obviously that's going to carry over. Yeah, even in character yeah. creation, like for Skyrim, like you pick the different races have different benefits of doing different things. So even at that point, you're like, well, I wouldn't be a dwarf that uses magic because they can't sort of thing. You, you, you very much like you, you pick from the start of the game, you pick how you want to be. It's not like dark souls, for example, where it doesn't matter what you pick. You can kind of pick up a weapon and start playing in a different way in a matter of minutes. But that is a good example of one actually had thought of that before. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's gone. It's a like I think it can be a bit weird because it's it's part of the trappings of the RPG genre, like statistically, that it it's a bit strange when right. So let's just say I have put all my points into um, like swords, yeah, and then like, you've got a strength build that like you not yeah. You start using and then like I find a hammer, but I can't use that very well. <laughs> Like yeah. I can't use this big heavy hammer to whack someone in the face with because and it'll do less damage and so on. It's a it makes sense, I guess, from the RPG perspective and from the idea that, you know, you come in with, you know, this is this is what I want my character to be like and so on. Yeah. But at the same time it can be a bit you know, you know. Anyway. I mean it, you mix it up more in like shooters and stuff, you're less sort of like, I'm not gonna use this specific type of gun because my character is a guy who uses pistols. You just don't have that same, yeah. that same sort of. Then, on of course, in that. shooters, you tend to play as like a character, and already, already exists. That's true. Hmm. Hmm. It's interesting. I mean, this is nothing to do with maps, but it was interesting. Yeah. Anyway, what's the deal with maps? Uh, they are drawings that tell you what is around you. Like that was one of the questions at the beginning, isn't it? Yep. Um, Definitely. And then the other one was. I think, I think our, our conclusion can be the best maps are maps that encourage you to, that excite you to explore rather than telling you where to explore. Cool. Oh, yeah, I mean, totally. I thought you were going to say the best maps are the maps in your heart. <laughs> so that's what you were going to say. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> The best maps (laughs) are the maps we make ourselves. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. 
heist, yes. It's I'm, not I'm, about the destination. It's about the map you drew to get there. <laughs> yeah, it's all about the map. <laughs> Don't think it's about the story. It's about the map. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, you... I guess part of it is just like the design philosophy of like, you know, is the map... Yeah. Uh, is it like just a representation of the world? Is it another thing on top of it? it it's a bit it's a bit strange, I guess. It's just our uh, our changing relationship with cartography. Just our our expectations of them. I think for me, my I mean, the what of... maps I like the most are the ones that um, make sense within the world. Like they're either um, they they're not just like just a map that suddenly appears out of nowhere. They have some sort of narrative context to it as well. Like in like in um, Metal Gear Solid Five, where it's like he has an iDroid device that shows him. The lay of the land, or in The Witcher Three, where it looks a bit like an old map, where so yeah, like like like, like diegetic really sound like... in films and TV. You like a diegetic map? Yes, I do. I like it to make what? sense because otherwise, every time you open up, it takes you out of that world. Like the Assassin's Creed one does that. It's like it's just a thing that exists, sort of. Yeah, it, it, every time you open it, it reminds you of that other crap part of the game that exists. <laughs> yeah, wow, does. this map is out of this world. <laughs> Hey. What do you? I uh, I had this thought the other day about Assassin's Creed. What do you think if, really, in Assassin's Creed, you're just a cartographer who also happens to be an assassin rather than an assassin who makes maps as you go along? I mean, what if that was like, you just sort of, the, the overall story was like, the assassins were really just people <laughs> who made maps, <laughs> got embroiled in this whole thing, and they had to learn how to kill people to continue to make their maps. The, the people that hated maps came yeah. after them. Yeah. Uh, that, yeah, I don't know where that thought came from, but it, I was thinking about it the other day. It was it was odd. Right. What has everyone been playing recently? Oh, man. This is end-loaded. Big question. I... Regular question. I have been playing nothing... Well, that's a lie. I've been playing nothing, almost nothing, except Total War Warhammer 2. Like, too much of it. Do you know when? Do you know when you like get that weird things in your brain where like the game just like when when I'm really tired and when I wake up in the morning, like if I'm thinking about like a person or thing, I keep imagining them as like a unit of about ninety of those people, (laughs) and (laughs) and then I just remember no, no, in real life people are just one person. It's. I can't. I get what you mean. I've been playing. You're talking to your friends. You just see a white flag start to flash above their head. Oh shit! Then we're all levels dropping. (laughs) (laughs) Get him a drink. Get him a drink. (laughs) I've not. I've not specked in to stand your ground this run. Yeah. You. Anyway. Yeah. It's good. Terror. Which which faction have you decided to play? Um, I have been playing uh, for my first campaign. I've basically got two campaigns on the go because I've been playing by myself and co-op with a friend. For my own campaign, I was playing High Elves and that one's like almost done. Mm-hmm. And for with my friend, I've been playing uh, Lizardman. Uh, he's been uh, Hexwattle and I've been Last Defenders. And I, I think, well, there's a game. It's got a map. Does it? Wait, it doesn't really have an overlay. It's a bit Skyrimish. You just... Uh, it does. It has like... It. There's a... like. It has well, it has quite an extensive map. You can 
Yeah, it tells you where things yeah. are, but yeah, I mean, well, like it's not like an external map. map. You you can change all of the like filters and stuff, so you can look at it like the diplomacy the game map. Kind of, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. The game kind of tactical map. map. The game just sort of is a yeah. map. It's like saying civilization doesn't have a map. It's like the world's a map. You play on a map. Yeah. What what what, what did you say, Navi? You asked a question as well. I think. Uh, did you? I did, but I can't. I couldn't hear it. Sorry. Oh well, fair enough. Right, I forgot. All, it can't all the world's anymore. a map, and the men are merely points of interest. <laughs> yeah, the men are merely, the men are merely rhinoceroses for you to hunt down and kill for a new wallet. <laughs> how's the how's the co-op campaign been? Because I've, I've hot I once hot seated a medieval two total war campaign, and I think we played, um, we played once and, like, what's the downtime between turns like? Um. I guess it can be pretty big, but it's not that bad. It just depends on who you're playing with. Um, my friend hadn't played a Total War game in a while. We'd played a co-op Shogun 2 campaign years ago, but oh, hadn't played one in a while, so it took him a while to like, relearn it. But yeah, I guess there is a bit of downtime. And how does it, it they've always been handle a... battles? When... Um, well, basically, you kind of just... It's... In other get right in Shogun Two, you kind of choose whoever you want it to be, and so you could pick two factions who were quite near each other, even if it didn't make like story sense. Obviously, uh, Warhammer is a bit more strict, so you can only pick people that you can only basically each race has like two sub factions, and you can only pick the same race. Right. So you tend to just end up on the other side of the world, so you don't really end up fighting battles together until like quite late in the story in the game anyway. But aside from that, basically, if, if they can they can just gift units to you, like they can say, right, so let's just say you come in and they have a main force and reinforcements, they can say, right, you can play as the reinforcements. Oh, cool. Uh, so it, and, does actually, it does actually pull the other player into the, the real-time well, battle. It's not just... It, it does, yeah, it does anything. depend It does depend on the, the whim of the person, the main fighter, because otherwise they can just... um. Just be like, no, nah, I'm not going to gift you anything. I'm going to play this one myself. Nah, yeah, they can just... <laughs> there's like a button. Yes. Well, that's pretty good. That's cool. Yeah. Okay, the unfortunate cool. thing is I'm basically at that point in my main campaign where, you know, every time you play a Total War game, you know, the early and mid game can be a bit of a struggle. You know, you have people about the same strength as you. But then, like... Oh, I think, right, I think let's the just early and mid game I always find to be the, the best bit. Like, the mid game is probably... Yeah. Yeah, yeah, totally. I have so many unfinished games of Total War where it's gotten to the end game. I'm just like, this is a bit boring now. <laughs> I just sort of stop. I think I did that on well, so that's the, like, Tiller and Empire recently as well. Also, well, like Total War have just announced um, like a new historical series of games. Oh yeah, the uh, Total War the, Saga thing. The Total War Sagas, and I think and they've they've announced Total. Uh, I think it's um, a Total War. It's Total War Saga, Thrones of Britannia. Oh, yes, just, but the, they put Total War first now, I think, um, and that's set in I think eight seven eight AD, and the map is basically the British Isles, uh, and so good. I imagine the factions will be like you'll have you'll have Alfred the Great, uh, the Danes. Yeah, I'm, um, I'm looking forward to that because I don't really it, have like, an interest in Warhammer, but I really like. Yeah, Total I, War I think it's a really cool move for the series because I think. Because for ages, I, I really enjoyed the broader and broader. Like they've, they've yeah. Well, I think I really enjoyed the narrative bits in in Total War Two, uh, and like in like I think like Fall of the Samurai was Shogun like for Shogun Two, 
yeah was great because it's always great to have a little like just more structure to a campaign without it completely yeah removing that kind of free like element of sort of sandbox freedom mm. yeah i think that, that's obviously just part of the way the game is the sandbox units but i guess you have like two different approaches don't you because I'm, I'm pretty sure i don't know i guess empire was pretty big like those ones but I'm pretty sure that the Mortal Empires campaign for Total War must be the biggest Total War map, just in general, because it's huge. Even if it's yeah, squished a bit, it's still like massive. But yeah, it's, I don't know. Yeah, yeah it's, the, it's nice. That's the recent update to, Mortal, uh, to Warhammer Two, which has combined the map from the first game with the second game and brought in almost all of the factions from the first. Yeah, and I think they recently actually finally patched it to be playable, which is nice. Um, when it when it first came out, complete tangent. When it first came out, there was this bug, because basically there's two different chaos invasion mechanics between the two games, and they obviously didn't think to to to, to wonder out how it would work when they just squished the games together. Because in in the first game, basically the chaos would invade from the north, just in in great force, because basically everyone has to, you know, fight them off. And then in the second game, every time you do a ritual, chaos appear in your borders. And so the game would get really confused because the rituals don't happen in Mortal Empires, but the chaos invasion does, obviously, because they're still a faction. Um, so basically, chaos would just appear constantly within the player's borders with, like, oh, yeah. five full stacks. That's anyway. Yeah. yeah. Well, like, so I guess, the, like... I was going to say, so yeah, the ritual mm -hmm. in Warhammer 2... I, I think it is this it's like a sort of basically the set of objectives that you have to complete in order to win the campaign yeah. rather than kind of grand conquest you and can I really still like it, it, it gives much like i think it gives better structure to your campaign oh yeah definitely like you can still you can technically still win a domination victory but um it is there's a lot of effort because even just in the, the even by itself the eye of the vortex campaign is huge like there's such a big map for it and then you like if you want to win a domination victory, you have to control fifty provinces. Okay, fair enough. Then you also have to kill every other legendary lord, which means you need to wipe out all of the main factions in the game. And so yeah, it's just a lot easier to win by ritual. But yeah, I, I guess like I was gonna say the uh, the Thrones of Britannia thing just sounds like the kind of antidote to that kind of really maximalist view of Total War. Mm. It's a really like focused campaign. Yeah, well, I think so. There was they did they've because they've done a couple of like expansions. I think the you kind of saw it with the the expansions for Medieval Two, where you had these. I think there was yeah, a kingdoms. Brit yeah, kingdoms. So you had a, a campaign that was set around the sort of Spanish conquest of uh, like Mexico and northern South America, uh, and there's like a Crusades one. But I think it's really interesting to as they add more now like proper narrative elements in to really kind of connect mm -hmm. it with the history. Because I always feel like in the historic ones, it's it's I love all the historical detail, but at the same time, it feel it, there's a weird like disconnect, because like yeah. you you're kind of you know you're like you're besieging Rome, and it's and the year feels kind of right for something, but you're kind of using these sort of knockoff characters. So it's like <laughs> yeah, I guess it kind of uh, kept like a lot of the remember that um, time when Julius Pisa fought off the. <laughs> Gauls at, you know, in Sicily. It's like, nah, cool. 
and, and like I think Warhammer Two showed that like you can you still make characters feel your own, but it, it there's it's really cool to have like n- like proper named characters. Yeah, because legendary lords are so big in that game. Yeah, so I think like uh, like alongside the sort of the people that just randomly spawn. So you know you'll have a legendary lord who is isn't from Warhammer lore. They're just kind of a generic person with a name. And so you get attached to them, but it's also cool to have the like famous Warhammer people. Yeah, yeah, that's that's what I'm meaning. The uh, like, yeah, your your big characters. Yeah. And I think it, and I think I'm excited to see that in sort of historic Total War. Like, it'll be cool to have an army that is led by Alfred the Great. Because I mean, Attila had uh, an expansion. Well, they had one that was that let you play as Julius Caesar conquering Gaul. Uh, and there was a east. There was one set around an Eastern Roman Empire expedition to retake Rome. But the one that I really enjoyed was uh, it was called Age of Charlemagne, uh, which is basically this the who was the big Charlie, first, yeah, first Holy Roman Emperor. <laughs> but it came out in my third year at uni, uh, and I was studying history. And my like special subject for that year was a module called Age of Charlemagne. Oh, wow. it was, so it was it was the weird like it was it couldn't have been more perfect for the total water they'd just be like oh yeah and now play a game of the history that you've just spent you know a year studying and writing about uh and it was really cool to like because it it was really awesome to kind of have that sort of extra connection and see you know the characters and people that you'd been learning about cool. uh those like watching basically the film in, version of a book Almost, yeah. Uh, and I really liked it, and it was, it was one of the because it was like I know so much about this here. I kind of it, I was it, because I, it was a more narrative experience. There were these like uh, sort of events that I was expecting to happen because uh, basically the Charlemagne is king of the well becomes kind of joint king of the Franks, uh, the kind of ancestors of the what would become France. But basically his family had overthrown the previous dynasty uh, to effectively become kings uh, and his dad basically divides the kingdom with him and his brother in his will so Charlemagne rules half of the Frankish lands and his brother rules the other half but his brother dies like two three years into their reign and Charlemagne immediately just assumes control over all his lands and basically sort of unites them all into one. And so I was like, cool. And so the campaign starts with you having one half of the Frankish like Frankish kingdoms and your brother having the other half. That's interesting. And so I was like, oh, cool. I only need to wait like six turns and then my brother dies and I'll, I'll get all the territory. <laughs> uh, and then he didn't die, which is really awkward. Oh, no. It's really awkward. And so he, <laughs> he, he ended up dying like... <laughs> About eight years after when he should have died, um, but it, it, and then it meant it was really cool because then like half of his lords kind of join you and you get kind of half his territory and then you get kind of people that rebel. Yeah, <coughs> I think part of the part of the, the fun thing about Total War is obviously it's fun to have the historical characters present, but I think obviously it's also great fun to. Uh, you know, it's really enjoyable that you also get this like weird alt history coming out of it 
like um I don't know invading Germany as the the great empire of Scotland. <laughs> like, yeah, mostly, I think it, I think it's 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 cool to have that like starting to have it kind of start with the things that you know, and so that way it, like your it makes your alt history feel more authentic because yeah yeah definitely. real historical events are happening around it. Kind of like I guess with like Crusader Kings, will start with you know the real people in the year that you just you choose to start in. Yeah, and yeah. will diverge from there. Whereas, like when you start a, a regular sort of grand total war campaign, there are no kind of historical events. It's just kind of here is a rough approximation of the era. Go from there. Yeah, I guess like a hilarious be, like. To, um... So, like, if I'm playing Rome, it will be like cool. Well, my objective is to just take Rome, and I kind of get bored after that. Or if it's if I'm playing as England, it would be like, cool, I need to wipe out the French and then I'll probably quit the campaign. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Total War campaigns do tend to reach that point where everything starts to feel a bit a bit loose. You know, I mean, just a bit unfocused. I think that happens. Like, I mean, I, I've kind of reached that. Yeah, I reached that point in, in my Warhammer one because I just, I'm more powerful than anyone else. Mm. So just, it was basically me and the Dark Elves were the only two people with any decent forces. And then I just like took out three of their stacks and it's like, oh, they're all worthless now. And I just went through, took half their territory and it's like, right. Now it's just basically cleaning up the rest of the factions <laughs> yeah. in the game. But then, yeah. yeah it's, it's like, uh, having having that like alternate win condition and objectives outside of painting the map is great. Yeah, definitely. And I think... I think it can be really interesting to see what they do with a, a really short. Well, I don't know. I don't know about short. Maybe short. I don't know if it's going to be really short. Short, short, short. Um, just, I think. I think it'll just be contained. Small, smaller scale. Because the games are basically built using the previous games. So they're not like a revolutionary new. Yeah. Game. It's kind of. They're kind of like. Sort of. Yeah. Side steps. Yeah. One way or another, the, the Total War Boys Creative Assembly are obviously really busy right now because. They've got that coming out. They've got a new, a surprise new expansion for Rome Two. Yeah, which and, is, similar, which is a similar, yet, similar thing. And an as yet unrevealed main series title that they're also planning. And also, you know, there's going to be a Warhammer Three at some point. Yeah. So like, they're obviously busy bees. Well, I think they they have a they have a historical team and a, <coughs> a fantasy team. Yeah. I imagine. Like, I think one of the things that'll be interesting to see how they balance, because obviously, one, like you say, one of the really fun things about Warhammer is the the lords and the the great the big heroes of the factions and stuff. But obviously, the, Warhammer has the advantage of a there is no like turns are just turns. There's no time in it. You know, it's not like this is year whatever. Mm. And at the same time, also uh, they also have the advantage that they have excuses for those heroes to not be just like squishy targets that you need to worry about protecting all the time yeah because obviously in other ones if you have a lord unit you, you don't want to send them in like ever they're well, a delicate the, egg that you will yeah. cradle oh well, i guess in like the historical campaigns like you yeah you you the you know it's like when i had charlemagne leading my army he's not you know he's not a super powered lizard that is riding a t-rex <laughs> so he's not as as effective in combat like he's still yeah. you know, he's still surrounded by his kind of household bodyguard who are who are yeah, and he's still, they're usually and still effective in combat but it's far more, like you you keep them back and they're far more a sort of if i need a really decisive kind of hammer blow to kind of 
win the battle, I might bring him in. Like, they're not a... You know, you don't really use them the same way. It's just like, yeah. cool, I'll send, you know, I'll send my big old psychic battle toad on his Stegosaurus, just get him in there, get him into the fray, and he'll yeah. he'll, he'll deal with it. Or I'll just... I, by the point I'm at the, my campaign, like, I'm pretty sure he's, like, the most overpowered lord in the game, but um, if you spec Tyrion right, the high elf leader, he just becomes an absolute blender. Like, you just chuck him in... And just, you know, he'll come out with like 300 kills every time. Just because <laughs> there have honestly been times I've just like thrown him in and then just had some archers backing him up and won a battle that way. Just same. <laughs> it's such good fun, especially because they, they really beefed up hero units and magic and everything for the second game. It's just like, it's ace. So yeah, like I'm saying, they can't really do that. And then obviously if they get killed, um, they yeah, kind of have to die has, usually would... also. Uh, well, in so in Age of Charlemagne, it would just be anyone that had like a, a proper name would tend to just get like they get wounded. Yeah, and captured. We uh, they usually be wounded, and then you, like yeah. like they've they you know some of their you know loyal servants manage to sneak like help them escape the battlefield. And yeah, you, you know they're they're in re they're recuperating, so you need to wait a couple of turns in the same way that that's true. Legendary lords do. It still happens like that, and yeah, but uh, again, like. I guess that that obviously makes sense, but yeah, I think I think I think yeah, it's yeah, anyway. really cool for sort of historic representation. Like, I mean, I know they have they've picked kind of haven't picked the most necessarily the most exciting area to start with. But like, I was thinking about like when I studied history, it was all it was just focused on a thousand years. But like, I mean, you know, a lot at university largely due to my choice. But I ended up basically just learning yeah. like a thousand years of British history from Rome, the Romans leaving to kind of the First World War, which ended up being covered by all my modules. But it was very focused on like powerful political mm -hmm. men leading England and from our perspective. So I think it would be, I mean, and yeah, sure, the first Total War saga is Alfred the Great uh, fighting the Danes. But it'll be, I think it'll be really interesting to see if they then, if they shift focus and perhaps, you know, do a do a campaign focused within the Middle East, and it'll be really interesting to learn about. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, with these, like, you, think... you know, you, you pick up stuff, and it'll be really cool for people to see their history more represented in the mainstream. Like, I got really excited because I'd been spent so long learning about Charlemagne. It was really cool to see then see a game about it, and I think it'd be really cool for people to see their you know, kind of histor like historical culture represented. Yeah. I think it's an, in the game. I think it's a pretty interesting point of choice because, like, I mean, it's not an era I know a huge amount about, but at the same time, it's also interesting because one of the things you know, obviously, I've read about is um, it's it's at a point in in the history of the islands where obviously there's there's very like separate kingdoms. There's because obviously they're, they're going to have the uh, the they're going to have the <clears throat> the Irish High King. The there's going to be the Scottish King and the the Welsh King because it's not all yet one big thing. And then there's going to be yeah. the, the, the 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 Danish Vikings coming in and everything. Is it's a it's an interesting period, and I think it might help people get more interested in it and understand maybe a lot more of that kind of distant history. Yeah, no, like yeah. that's it is it's it's. 
it's really exciting because I think it it's kind of combining all of the all my favorite bits of the Total War series. And like just all of all of the kind of steps forward it's made seem to be combi- being combined into or hopefully these kind of just small sort of bite-sized packages. Um, yeah. Because I think the um, the reason why I think Shogun 2 is still my favourite Total War game is because it's it takes place on that much smaller map with much smaller scale. There's not so much of like um, there being like millions of territory and stuff. It's it it, it and then um, there is a, there's a variance in in units and stuff, but like it's not like so radically different all the time that I I enjoyed it a lot more than. Attila and well, Empire and Napoleon and stuff. So, yeah, yeah. I guess that that was well, the nice thing about Shogun. Like, the unit variety had its like pros and cons, but it was always nice because you were like, "Cool, that is a swordsman. He will beat those spearmen, and I know that those spearmen will beat this cavalry." But yeah. in like Attila, yeah. you have so many like like variations really of swordsmen. Yeah, kind of, yeah. And when you look at them, it's like they all have sort of. They have the same face, basically. I think like, Attila was the worst for this, but like the best, the best armed guys, kind of have a bit more chainmail, and like a hefty shield, and perhaps a nice helmet. Yeah. Where like it had the kind of, from like a visual perspective, they looked the least different from the kind of crappy guys compared to like say we're in like medieval. You know, you had <clears throat> peasants all the way up to guys oh, yeah, in full yeah. plate armor, and that yeah, that and that kind of made it yeah, easier. Yeah. Whereas, because in Attila there are so many units that are kind of basically just wearing a kind of male sort of hauberk and have a shield, but one yeah. might be a tier one unit, and the other guy is a tier four elite. It's really it's sort of it's, it's, to it's far less visually obvious as to who's going to win the fight. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, it's, we've been recording for about an hour 20. Is it quiz time? Is that what you're saying? I think it might be quiz. Speaking of Total War, right, obviously I hadn't revealed the quiz to these guys, because obviously I don't trust them, they'd cheat. Right. You know what, So you know, I have you, you prepared. Know what, you know what I think we need? Drum roll. What? I think, I think, we, need, I think we need a jingle. Exciting music. Hello. Is it dinner time? Oh. No, it's quiz time. Hello, yeah. is it dinner got, time? got that on the soundboard. <laughs> just, just, just keep it then accidentally right, yeah. it twice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay, so it is quiz time. It's not dinner time. Oh, Nobody's thank, hungry. Th- thanks, Nevi, from the past. <laughs> thank you, past Nevi. Oh, past Nevi has such a poor judgment. <laughs> present present Nevi, you can take the thanks on, on his behalf. I thank you. Right, I'll, I'll... so I prepared... A total Warhammer map quiz. Ooh. I have taken items, places, and settlements from the Total Warhammer one and two map. Cool. And I have inserted a fake one into it that you must guess. Got you. Okay. Excellent. I so feel... we will. I feel like we should clarify that I got to I got to pick this week's theme because I won last week's quiz, and this is oh, why yes. Gav is writing this week's quiz. Exactly. So I mean, I'm feeling quite confident again, just because I've played Total Warhammer, to, uh, and Nevi hasn't. So that's true. I, I'm just hoping that my uh, 
my fake things will be good enough. So bamboozling. Because so bamboozling, yes. Um, right, okay, so question number one. We're going to progress between one, two, three, four, five, and maybe six and seven if we need tie breaks. Um, to From the sea to dwarf settlements, elf settlements, lizardman settlements, empire settlements, what I have listed here is Fantasy France, which is the Bretonians and the Norska settlements. Right, well, one of them is factions, but close enough. Right, question number one. We are at sea, on the ocean. I have a list here of, of sea places. Are we all prepared? Sure. Just want to make me sure. to yeah. play some seagulls from the soundboard? See, go for it. <laughs> was that yep. you just doing a seagull noise? <laughs> no, no, no comment. Was, no, it was no from comment. The Definitely from the soundboard. That was... That was I, I, that sounded like a real seagull. To me. That sounded like you right. doing a seagull noise. Yeah. Okay. No, no, it's a so, professionally recorded seagull from our soundboard. Right, okay. <laughs> okay, I have four choices for you. Right. The Sea of Malice, the Forbidding Coast, the Straits of Hatred, and the Black Coast. The bleak coast, even one of those is fake. Uh, streams of hatred. Which one do you believe? Streams of hatred, fake. It's the it's the it's the Straits of Hatred. It is the Straits of Hatred. One point each. Yes. Right. <laughs> this this next one might be more difficult because, frankly, I find most of these names really funny <laughs> because it's dwarf settlements and they they all have dumb names. Right. Um, Someone's number one. Going in the grudge book. Yeah, exactly. I yeah, know. Hey, I'm gonna get killed. Gronty Mingle. Dringo Rakaz, Karak Korkas, and <clears throat> Barag Dawazbag. The second one. Which one? Dringo Rakaz. Yeah, I'm going to go with that one. Uh, was there like. George? Is there like Dronty Mingle? Was that one of them? <laughs> Dronty Mingle was the first one, yes. <laughs> can I choose that one? <laughs> you can choose that one. <laughs> the truth is. You were both wrong. Oh, the fake oh. one was the the least retarded sounding one. Karak Korkas. I really thought that was all the other ones were real. I just assumed that. Gronty Mingle oh, and Barhag Dawaz. I've explored the least because I, I've never played with the wolves. Yeah, I shouldn't even say Gronty Mingle. I was, I, just, like, oh. I was just like, right. I was like, what am I going to do? I was just scrolling through and I just saw Gronty <laughs> Mingle and I was like, <laughs> that is great. Who lives in Gronty Mingle? All right. Grunty Mingle, eh? Well, I guess there it's was a half, young like, boy from Grunty Mingle. They're like they're they're also partly orc settlements, or can be settled yeah. by the orcs. So the orcs probably had some influence there. <laughs> <laughs> Grunty Mingle. They turned up to the party. Right. We're now we're you both have one point. We do. Right, elf elf areas in the second game. Okay. Um, you have Calador. Eastern Ivres, Safari, and Tiranoc. Uh, the second Which one again. is unreal? Number two. The second one? Yeah, Southern Can I get the, So it was Calador. What were the middle two? Yes. Uh, Calador, Eastern Ivres, Safari, and Tiranoc. I think I'm going to go Calador. Calador. Okay. Nevi like claims a point. Yes! No. Oh. <laughs> 
There is a Kalidor, a Safra, and a Tyrannoc, and there's a northern and southern Ivress, but no eastern one. Yeah, because I was like, I've definitely heard Ivress, and (laughs) Tyrannoc is a real place. That was complete luck that I'm my mouth. Well, you know, it counts. These quizzes are very serious. Right. Two for one. Right, question number four. Lizardmen. Lizardmen settlements. These are all, like, capitals. <clears throat> Excuse me if I butcher the presumed important pronunciation here. How's your uh, Aztec? Okay. How's my Aztec? Uh, I've not brushed up in a while, you know, I'm a bit, a bit rusty. Right. <clears throat> Axolotl, Xlanhuapec, Tlaxtlan, and Zlatlan. Uh, pretty sure it's Zlatlan. Is it the Platt? Zlatlan Ibrahimovic. I'm going to have Platt's. The, the third one, the plaque one. <laughs> the third one, Tlaxtlan. Yeah, that one. Right, again, both wrong. Uh, the fake one was Axolotl, which is not a settlement. It's a weird-looking fish. Yeah, that, that sounded real enough well, to be... Yeah, what, like, thing, so. I feel like this is especially embarrassing because I played as the Lizardmen for my campaign. <laughs> Shameful. Well, I just... I, I just there's a lot of I was thinking, wattles. So I, was like, I know, oh. there's a lot of wattles and lands and just weird x's anyway right number five so the nevi is currently ahead by a point champion this is from these are from the first game or the mortal empires map we're looking at the empire in this one okay you have altdorf grunberg weissmund and augsburg which of those is the fake that's Altdorf, Grunberg, Weissmund, and Augsburg. You see, what I, I could do here is I, is I could let George pick first and then just pick the same Oh, no, that's, see, that's, that's, that's why I'm, I'm letting you pick first, Nevi. <laughs> All right, okay. I've, um, I've got my answer locked in. <laughs> I'll have Altdorf? Altdorf? I'll have that one. Wrong. Uh, it's, it's Augsburg, which is, which is, a, which is a real place. It's a in real Germany. place. <laughs> it is a real place. <laughs> My combined right, okay, knowledge so now... of the German water religion and fake Warhammer places really came together there. <laughs> I did. Well done. We are now two for two. Okay, so we got a tiebreaker. Okay, we are now into Bretonia, the land of the knights. It's very French. Okay. <clears throat> Montpellier, Couronne, Bordelot, and Carcassonne. Uh, Carcassonne. Montpellier. Ah, George is right again, because Montpellier is a real place. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) In the end. (laughs) In the game, still. Yep, (laughs) there is a place called Carcassonne. Yeah, and, I was like, well, that was a real place. Yes. <laughs> I was like, you just named I mean, yeah, I was like, real place. Montpellier is a real French is a real French place, but it didn't make it into the fake French place. Uh, rubbish. Exactly. <laughs> uh, okay, so bonus point because I have another question here that I might as well use. Okay. Fair enough. Uh, you can. You might not be able to win the quiz, but you can maybe regain your dignity. We'll see. <laughs> These are the Norska the Norska factions. <clears throat> Aghol, Scaling, Ilfing, and Mung. 
I'm gonna have scaling. It's the first one. Ooh, both wrong. Is it Mung? It's Ilfing, which oh. is not a real Norska faction. It's from um, it's it's either real or it's from Beowulf. I thought you were saying, uh, all the other, other ones real are real. Or it's fake. <laughs> I don't know. It's either real or it's fake, but close enough. <laughs> so maybe it was an unfair one for Nevi because he hadn't played the game. That's fine. I, but... I did. I thought I did all right, considering. So <laughs> You did okay. You did okay. It's all right. Yeah, in, um... in the end, it was knowledge of real places that won in charge the game. I was just like, I know that's a real place. <laughs> Yeah. Oh well. And thus ends the quiz. It does. So that means I've got the quiz next time and George gets... I I yet again get to choose next time's theme. Jesus. I bet you. We've got to take him off this is the... This high horse now, Gav. I will. I'll defeat him. Next week. Next time. This will not become the the bits and pieces George cast. (laughs) Yeah. I refuse. You you won't control it. (laughs) Oh, I think I do control it. Oh no! <laughs> created a monster. The, the the baseball winning thing has has spoken. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, and I think with that we slide up to an hour thirty. Wrap the... up. I think that was a successful podcast. I think it was we greasily flop to the half the half hour mark, one hour and a half. Yeah, excellent. So as always, if you've stumbled upon this podcast without the website attached you can find us at bitsandpieces.games follow us on twitter at bits plus pieces or on instagram or facebook at those bits and pieces you can follow me individually at nevada drew on twitter and you guys are i'm gavin you can follow me at um at uh, Gav bits on Twitter. <laughs> uh, I'm and how can I follow you, George? <laughs> uh, I am at underscore scruffy looking on Twitter. Awesome. Um, that about wraps it up. Oh, I'll that does. do one more thing. Um, just say that um, you should check out some of the articles we've had on the website recently. We had Jen do an interesting one. Uh, about stuff that happened at the uh, PlayStation conferency thing about Erica, which is interesting read. I did a review of Icebox Speed Gunner, which is a really cool, fast-paced shooter for PC. And George wrote a really good piece about the board game cafe that's called... Oh, what's it called? The Library Pot. Library Pot, there we are. So... All good reads. Yeah, did you go to the toilet again during this podcast? What? I I always go to the t- I I'm sorry. So I didn't I didn't notice your message in the chat just there that just says <laughs> Oh did you not? I did need to piss back in a minute. Didn't notice that. I didn't notice that you'd gone oh. again. <laughs> I'm sorry. Well I, I covered for it. It's but... a tradition, isn't it? <laughs> I have if I don't sneak out in return, well, there's a listener challenge. Real can Just you spot where one. Gav left to go to the toilet? <laughs> <laughs> I did. Uh, you need exactly. If you can, if you can pinpoint it, then you get to pick a podcast theme. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, we'll have to make a quiz of that at some point. At which point during this podcast did Gavin go to the toilet? Once Was got, it? Yeah, an hour fifteen. <laughs> um, 
Oh. Yeah, um, yeah. Send us any comments, feedback, or whatever to the various social media doodars, and do like and subscribe and all the other listening thingamabobs. Uh, thank you for listening. Review on iTunes seems to be a customary yes. request. Exactly. Exactly. I don't think we've had one yet. So you could be reviewer number one. So there you go. You could lead the way. A prestigious honor that we lay at your feet. Thank you for listening. Goodbye. 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 Goodbye.